You are listening to Seize the Day with Natalie Miller-Snell. During these podcasts, we'll be exploring all of the different opportunities that we get to seize the day on a daily basis and what tools and what changes we can make in order to grab those goals. Are you ready to make change? Hello, 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 podcast lovers. How are you all? It's Thursday. I'm Natalie and you are listening to Seize the Day. Now, today is my anniversary show. Woohoo! And a suitable way to celebrate is I've got an incredible guest on who I am beyond excited about talking to and probably will get a little bit giddy with excitement. She's a fantastic woman, uh, an incredible author, a former award-winning journalist, three times GCLS Goldie winner, and it's not every day you get to say and have on your favourite author. Please put your hands together for the incredible Lee Winter. Round of applause. A very impressive introduction there, Natalie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, go all out, really. Hey, how are you? I'm very fine, thank you. Excellent. And now it's afternoon, evening time for you, is it? Yeah, it's just after four in the afternoon for me. Crikey, just over 9am here. So where for everyone listening, where are you? What are you, are you in your room or where do you podcast from? I'm in my little home office um, with a view out of my garden and a laptop in front of me. Very nice. And your garden is absolutely sensational. The images that you post online, it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, no thanks to me. I'm more the hauler and toter and my girlfriend does all the actual, you know, planting and making things not die part of the business Oh, I don't know, all that, getting it prepared though, getting the right stuff in place, that's, uh, it's impressive, it's beautiful. I do man a good wheelbarrow, I can tell you that much. <laughs> and all of the wildlife you've got now as well. Yes, we're sure we're going to find a quenda, which is a little bandicoot type creature. We've got proof it exists from its holes and its shapes and and its little, you know, dung, but we can't actually find it. <laughs> oh no. Oh, so it's got a home, but you can't see it. Yeah, still looking for the quinda. Yeah. <laughs> oh, love it, love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Now, um, Lee and I, Crikey, we met back, or rather, I, I contacted you back in 2017. I can't believe it was that long ago when I went through my emails. And uh, if I recall correctly, I was gushing a lot about the Red Files and Requiem back then, uh, having just read your books and suitably, well, uh, blown away really with your writing. I did like your enthusiasm for Requiem. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, you blew me away. I mean, I'd been reading Lesvik for a, a couple of, maybe maybe a year or so. And yeah, I mean, it was a next level reading your books and I loved it. So, And for everybody who knows me, I do like to ask a lot of questions. So I think I fired several <laughs> your way. And gratefully, you were very patient. And we've been in contact ever since. So yeah, it's, yes, yeah. it's true. It's truly fantastic to, to have you on, a real pleasure. So let's get stuck in and get to know all about you. And let's go right back to the beginning. Uh, Lee and I have kindly spoken beforehand and you've agreed to chat about some journalism days, which I yeah, think, yeah, I mean, reading your blogs and, uh, and things that you've posted online, I mean, it's quite incredible. So if we can go back to there, you've obviously got a keen love for writing and that blog you posted from Pigeon Poo to Betty Laughs oh, had me howling with laughter. Yes. So let's start there. How did you get into that that role with the junior reporter? How did you find your funny bone for anyone who's not read your blog? This is this was when I discovered I was funny. And I didn't know what, well, <laughs> everyone thinks they are funny. But then with lack of actual 
um, evidence from anywhere, like anyone actually laughing at your jokes, you start to doubt yourself. So I thought, okay, I'm not funny. And I had um, the cadet trainer at the time told us never, ever to write humour, ever, in history, ever, ever. So Why? Was, well, he just thought it was always so badly done that, you know, oh. it was so lame that just it was just easier just not to just do every story straight. But he was an old just the facts man type newsman anyway, so I don't think he even had a sense of humour. So anyway, I was working in Brisbane for a paper there and then I got sent to what they call the Melbourne Bureau. Um, we're all in the same company, which was News Corp, which um, is now, <laughs> everyone would know is a Rupert Murdoch, you know, den of iniquity. But at the time, it was quite well run. <laughs> anyway, so I got sent to the Melbourne Bureau. Now, we worked out of the Melbourne Herald Sun paper, but that paper hated the Bureau people. Like there were five of us from all around Australia and we got sent there and they hated us because they had to find space for us and we were interlopers and we used to bob up all the time and ask them questions about, oh, what, so what story are you working on? So what's the lead? Stuff like that. And we're all in the same group, you understand. We're all in the same company, but they did not like that at all. So they put us in the emergency fire exit three stories up, sort of this really tiny little box of a room and we had we could only enter it by like emergency exit stairs that were exposed to the elements and you'd slide up and down them on pigeon poo and it was just horrific. Now I worked the night shift and I think started work at 4pm and finished at midnight but sometimes I went longer depending on what was happening and all I had to do all day every day I'd get in there and the stories that the Herald Sun reporters and the other bureau people wrote I had to hit five buttons and send every story to every other newspaper in the group that were part of our news group. And I did that hundreds of times a night and then I went home. I didn't actually get to write anything myself. I was bored out of my brains. And so there was this tiny little black and white TV in that office and sometimes I'd watch um, the late night TV shows. Now we had in Australia a comedian called Steve Visard who ripped off shamelessly the David Letterman show. And I do mean in every single detail from the top 10 list to the band to the set, it looked identical, but we didn't know that because Australia didn't get that show, so we thought he was fantastic. And every night <laughs> I watched the top ten list, and every night I think, oh, that's kind of funny, isn't it? You know, top ten um, things not to say to your boss and that sort of thing. Um, and one night, um, what I had to do each night as part of my duties was to fax through the Herald Sun front page to the Steve Weisard show because it was live and he would hold up the Herald Sun along with all the other you know, newspapers from around the country say, this is what's going to be in the paper tomorrow. So that was my job. And one night when I was really, really bored, I thought I'm going to write my own top ten list. Damn it. I'm going to write my own tip. It's going to be hilarious. And I'm going to fax it through along with the, you know, um, front page of the paper. So Steve gets to read it. Might that be fun? <laughs> and, um, I, that is amazing. Sorry, yeah. carry on. I love it. Who does that? 19-year-old, <laughs> very bored, homesick girl from Brisbane. So I wrote up my top 10 list and I sent it through. And then after I sent it through, my heart started pounding. Like I thought, who do I think I am? Oh my God, this is stupid. And then I thought, oh, well, he won't even see it anyway. Like what's, who's going to go, oh yeah, this came through on the facts. You know. It's just amazing. I'm watching the show and then suddenly he goes, oh, so we got this thing on the facts. And I was just like, oh my God. And he starts reading my list. Oh. <gasps> Yeah, I was like that. Um, and I thought, look, I'm not funny. My family never laughs at my joke. I know I was really, really shy, so I don't deliver them very well. But <laughs> he's super funny. 
he can do things with his lips and his mouth and his, you know, the whole, he's just really funny. And he read them out and the audience were in stitches of laughter and I stared at him and I thought, oh, my God, I am funny. I mean, I can't tell a joke, but I can write funny. And that actually changed my life. I thought, okay, well, maybe I do have a funny bone. Maybe I should write humour and maybe Jeffrey the cadet trainer is full of shit. And so <laughs> as things went on, I did start incorporating humour in a lot of my writing and it has really served me well. So I have Steve Lazard and to a lesser extent David Letterman to thank for that. I, do you know, I love this story. I think it's it's amazing. And it's a real seize the day moment right there. I mean, True. you say, what, what, I mean, I suppose what makes us do anything in the world, but you're seizing the opportunity and it's incredible. I can't even begin to imagine how you must have felt having had that read out on what was in, you know, massive primetime TV back then. It, was very, it must have blown your mind. <laughs> after it happened and I went to bed then I thought, um, am I going to get in trouble for this? You probably shouldn't be taxing your own personal rambles through to the Did no, anyone ever find out or did no. they ever inquire as to where they were getting it from? Well, or? the next day in my office, um, the other people from the Interstate Bureau were all side-eyeing me. They're going, we know what your job is. We know what you're supposed to do at night. And so, therefore, if something was attached to the front page of the Herald Sun, you sent it. <laughs> oh, of <laughs> like, course. <laughs> oh, yeah, good point, good point. <laughs> but they, they all laughed. They thought it was a very funny list. And so, you know. That's they, great. They yeah. I can't believe your office, though. It sounds marvellous. <laughs> a corner room. <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> it's amazing that I've slipped to our depths, to be honest. I mean, it was outside metal stairs with pigeon pool up it. Three flights up, and it was illegal where they'd put us. Yeah, safety would have had a field day now, but it was the it was the eighties. It was like nineteen eighty nine where you know got away with anything. Well, quite. <laughs> My goodness. Well, I mean, so your journalism career. I mean, I know you've probably written some award winning bits and bobs, and you've but had seen quite a few court cases, or I think you sat on quite a few court cases back in your day. Was there anything yes. particularly interesting that you sat in on, or that you can share, or that that stuck with you? Yeah, I had two that stuck with me. Um, there was the case of Victor Chang being slain. Now, Australians know him as a very famous heart surgeon. It was the most massive news story of its day. It was like a failed extortion attempt gone wrong by these couple of Asian uh, gang, crime gang bozos, I think they called them. They were that stupid. So they shot him and they got mad with him when he refused to pay up money. And, and they did it on a street in broad daylight on one of the busiest streets in Sydney, and, like, they did it in front of a passing bus. So all the people sitting oh. on the bus actually saw the guy pull out his gun, saw money being flung around on the ground, and saw the guy shot dead. So that was a really huge story, and I had to file for the afternoon um, versions of, like, two of the papers that had afternoon editions then. And so I'd be going into court, and I'd take all the notes, and then I'd run out at midday and write up the story really, really fast. That was the thing. I was on such a time crunch. And then I'd ring up a number and I'd actually have to speak it over the phone while a copy taker took it down because these are like, um, I don't even think email was much of a thing back then, and they wrote it down uh, for me and I'd have to like, you know, uh, blah, 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 new paragraph, open quotes, the man who was, you know. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. I'd back to the court and catch the rest of the case and then I would file for the evening edition to the next day papers. So. That was really exciting. And, I, again, I was only 19 or 20, I think, by then. And so this was a massive deal for me. Wow. And the other case I did was the Sydney Granny Killer case, which was a serial killer, and he killed 
five, I think he strangled to death five strangers, all elderly women. You're kidding. Plus his girlfriend, who was also an elderly woman. And the worst thing was he was just this really nice-looking, really average-looking bloke who was like a pie salesman. And you'd look at him, he just looked like a grandpa. He looked like the nicest guy. And I sat like two metres away from him every day. And you just would never in the years go, that guy's a serial killer. It was really creepy, but he had these wow. really empty blue eyes, though. And if he fixed them on you too long, you'd go, ooh. But if you just passed him in the street, you'd just go, no. And it was really, really creepy. And that was the first time. And that, I thought about him a lot when I was writing Requiem because... I was going to ask, did that creep in at all? That, yeah. There was that line in Requiem where I can't remember which character says it. I think it might be Requiem said that, you know, the... This, the strange thing about humans is we're just like half a twist away from evil. Yes, yes, just yes, like yes. Half a twist, and and we're there. And that guy was half a twist away. He was just really angry with his mother. Everything stemmed from his anger with his mother, and so he was assaulting these and killing these women because of his mother. Crikey! Twist away, yeah. So what an eye opener to be involved with, and obviously getting the opportunity to do the articles as well. But then how that's influenced. Well, it really interested me in the human psyche. Not that I'm one of these sort of people who likes to go down those paths. I actually am quite squeamish, which is funny given I wrote a book about a serial killer myself, right? Like an assassin. I'm not, I'm really, really squeamish. I hate horror. I dislike blood. If you actually read Requiem, you notice there are no, no one's getting shot and there's very, very little blood. And it's because of my sensibilities. I hate that kind of thing myself. So, but it did teach me a lot about the human psyche and I was really down with um, trying to figure it out after that. Wow. Okay, so do it, Do you have any favourite articles that you wrote? Uh, are either those two one of them or is there anything that you can share? Or This is going to sound crazy, but I wrote this article about a brain-rotting amoeba. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, so it's also a really rare one called Bellamuthia. So here's what's really strange. Um, so I knew there was this big hospital medical conference in town and I hadn't anything else on. I think it was in Madeleine this time. I've lived all over. So I thought, okay, well, I'll go and see what they're talking about. And there are a whole bunch of people having their meetings. And this particular group of about six scientists were discussing Bellamuthia, the brain-rotting amoeba. So I sat in on that and I took a bunch of notes and interviewed the guys. And I came back and sat down. I thought, who the hell is going to care about this? And you know why no one's going to care about this? Because... It's one of the rarest diseases on the planet because only five people worldwide in the history of ever have ever died from Bellamuthia amoeba. So I thought, well, what am I going to do? Wow. So what's a girl to do? So I wrote the whole thing like a murder mystery. And I started off with this thing that triggered the whole thing, which was like a monkey in a San Diego zoo dropped dead from unknown causes. And when they did the autopsy on the monkey, it had this really rare, strange, never seen before amoeba in its brain. And so I followed, I traced it all back and how they thought, oh my goodness, it's a new amoeba. And then I ended up with the one, two of the two of the five cases worldwide who died were Australians, which is why I was writing about it. And how these normal kids just suddenly, you know, fell into comas for absolutely no reason that they could find. And then I finished the story with how and at the end of the day, the dead monkey actually had nothing whatsoever to do with this new strain of amoeba. And it was just a coincidence that it had a sort of, you know. And so I wrote the whole thing as a murder mystery. I absolutely loved it. I fell madly in love with the story and the structure and the whole thing being a murder mystery. And it won Australia's highest 
writing prize at the time for like medical writing and I beat out all these really, really famous and veteran writers and journalists. And I sat there that day and I thought, holy crap, maybe I'm not just treading water. Maybe I can actually swim as a journalist. Maybe I can actually like write. Like because I made that entertaining, I thought maybe that's what journalism should be. Maybe you should be trying to really engage people and really, you know, and that combined with the Steve Eisenhardt stuff. My writing was starting to really come together as being a bit more interesting and different than, you know, status quo. I, that is just amazingly and quite incredible. Again, I mean, to to beat all of those other journalists and, you know, oh, wow, hat off to you. That's incredible. It was also special for another reason because my, my mum and my stepdad flew in from Saudi Arabia to attend the awards and they watched me win and it was, um, I think it was, I saw them just before they died. So I was really... It's such a warm memory in my heart and in my life of, of having that feeling of achievement and my mum being so proud and and that whole oh it's just really nice it, it it cemented me my feeling as what it was to be a journalist and it gave me a lot of love. Oh, that's amazing! And, and my stepdad there, so it's good. I can well imagine. Oh, that's absolutely beautiful. Is there anything that you miss about those days? Then, obviously, moving on from journalism, we're coming to the books now and how you transitioned. Yeah, no, I, I really, really miss my colleagues. They were enormous fun. They were really, really smart. I know this is not people's stereotype about journalists being really smart, but maybe the ones in Australia that I was working with really were. They were smart and they were witty and they did word puns and lots and lots of jokes and they were really supportive when I wrote a good headline and stuff like that. So I really miss them. And when you become a full-time writer or when you leave – any workplace and work from home, your world sort of shrinks down to only those people in your immediate vicinity and makes you a bit reclusive or, in my case, more reclusive or a little bit of an introvert. So, yeah. I understand that, though, Lee, because even though I've been off work for a a small, limited amount of time, I I haven't done a great deal beyond being in in my home, you know, I go to the gym, but you you do then start to limit your exposure so I, I fully understand that actually I, I really do get that and in fact we went into town last week and I went on the tube for the first time in what felt like a year and it felt really weird but when you might have done that for years it felt very strange so I I really understand that that sentiment right so how did you get into fanfic what what made you start writing beyond the journalist size and then how did that transition into the books that we now all love uh, you know, can't wait to get our hands on. Well, like writing was a real passion for me. Like I loved writing at work. I liked feature writing, which is kind of like the long form of journalism where you're doing profiles and stuff like that. So that was my thing. But um, I can't remember how exactly it happened, but somehow I ended up as a sub-editor and so I wasn't writing all the time. And that was okay. I mean, you know, but then as, as time went by, I just started to really miss it like the mm. actual creative, the passion, all that sort of stuff. And then around the same time, I started watching a show called Once Upon a Time. Um, oh, yes. I became a big Swan Queen fan. <laughs> With everyone. Yeah, and then I started writing my fanfic, The Staircase, under Red Charcoal, which is a terrible piece of writing. I, I urge you not to read it. <laughs> <laughs> it's long, it. isn't it? It's 240,000 words long. Whoa! <laughs> 74 chapters. And look, like I have to warn everyone, it starts with a rape. That's how weird and strange and 
crazy this, but I was in a really dark period of time in my life. Yeah. And I wrote it to get some demons out and it started there. And what made it even more controversial and get even more bucket loads of hate was the um, the fact that I had like an accidental rape and that one person thought she was role-playing and having consensual sex and the other person was not in on that at all. And no thank you and what the hell are you doing? And it was just a terrible misunderstanding but it involved Swan Queen. It was raping right. me. I was like, oh my God. So it, was, it was the worst possible crime I could commit in the Swan Queen fandom. And I had many, many horrible, horrible, horrible critics on my case for a long time about that. But anyway, so I started writing it. And it actually did actually get my creative juices flowing after a while. And it morphed into a journey of all sorts of things of understanding and, you know, forgiving things and. Yeah, finding acceptance and moving on and blah blah. I mean, I, I couldn't, I could not ever have two people who went through that at the start sort that out within ten chapters. That's why it's seventy-four chapters long. So by the end, wow. You know. But the strangest thing about it, it turned into. By the end of it, I was actually a much better writer because I kind of understand that just because I can write journalism, non-fiction doesn't mean I can write fiction. They're quite different animals. They're very different animals, in fact. And so by the end of the 74 chapters, I was a much better fiction writer and the, yeah. my writing was improving and that sort of stuff and I had a lot more followers. And the people who were um, slamming me at the start were a bit more forgiving by the end, especially when they saw that I wasn't trying to do some rape, cheap thrills yeah. thing. I was actually trying to do the journey. <laughs> and um, so I checked the numbers today. That fan fiction has had 1.4 million views. Wow. That's incredible. It is. It's uh, by far along the way, by far the most read of my fix since. So one of the readers was Astrid Olitz at Ilver Publishing, who um, is the boss lady there. And she wrote to me and said, I read your fic. Well, it was good. I was wondering if you'd think about writing me a book. And that was completely out of left field. I had no idea. I was just thought, oh, she's just having a lend. This is... <laughs> I was really like, you know, she was, she was some, you know, scammer. And she said, oh, what is it with you Australian? She said, you're always, you know, it's always the Australian authors I contact to give me this anyway. She was very funny. And um, she, she put me in contact with um, some other Ilva authors so I could ask them all the questions and satisfy myself she wasn't making it up. And then after that, um, actually and I are really good friends now, and after that I wrote her The Red Files. And wow. the rest is history. So that's quite amazing. I mean, there's a, a couple of things on what you just said there, which which blow my mind. Uh, I think how vocal the world can be about something that you write. And obviously at the time it was quite personal to you and helped you get through a stage. And again, an incredible Caesar Day moment that in terms of going through something to then have the opportunity to write a book and Astrid approaching you like that is phenomenal. So you didn't know of her. She's yeah. just contacted you. I didn't even know that Les Fick was really a thing. I, think. I mean, I vaguely was aware that books existed because when I was 19, I found a gay and lesbian bookshop and bought a whole bunch of books, but I hated what I read and it was so depressing. All these coming out angsty and homophobia and I was like, oh. So that, was, that began and ended my lesbian reading experience. So this was many years later and I'm being approached by a lesbian publisher and I, I just was a bit, mm, I don't know. But then when I got embraced in that world and I realised, well, fiction's come a long way from yeah. what I was reading, a long way, and people aren't so fearful, you know. So 
Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. And then obviously Tara Scott being very happy that the Red Files happened. And then after that, Requiem. Whoa! And what an incredible journey. And you were writing these part time at the, at the time. Yeah, you? I wrote Red Files and Requiem. Um, I, I would spend my whole day, dusk to dawn, or dawn to dusk, I should say, you know, on Sundays. That was all I did was work on my book, and then the rest of the week was, you know, normal working week, and Saturday was all my chores. So I was very tired, but it took me about uh, 14 months to do Red Files, and I think a little bit less for Requiem. Wow. Doing it part time that way. How does it, I mean, obviously, you mentioned a bit earlier going from having a job to then being full time writer. How does it feel now? Because you've been in this journey for, it's, it's over a couple of years now, isn't it? Yeah, it's two and a half years now. Wow. Yeah. Have you found your groove? Are you kind of in the zone, you know? Um, some days I would say yes, and other days I'd say, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> Give me a paper. <laughs> yeah. Some days I, I really crave the structure of having a job, but most of the time yeah. I just absolutely love that um, I've got this passion, the same passion that made me turn a brain-rotting <laughs> into a murder mystery. Incredible. <laughs> this, the same thing that made me think, you know, maybe I should send a top ten list to Australia's foremost comedian, middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, why not? Do something crazy, left field. I love it. It's funny. I was talking to Angela on Monday, Angela Brooke, and we were yeah. saying the same thing because she's not working at the moment in the sense that she's she's writing uh, full time in in Germany, and we were talking about you know how do you start your day? For me, I have to shower and get ready, like I'm I'm going to work because otherwise I don't, don't do anything. <laughs> right. But it, you have to get into a routine, don't you? Yes, no, I'm, I'm, I, I just don't skip days. I'm always at my desk, ready to go. Somewhere between eight and nine, it varies, but I'm always there and I'm always, you know, powering away at it. One thing that, um, you know, from the days of doing the Victor Chen case um, really helped was being fast. You know, you really pound it out. You have to be really fast. The other thing was at one point I had a, a humour column and I was in Adelaide and they wouldn't let me write it in work time. Um, okay. I can't remember why. It was some deal, but I couldn't. I was not allowed to write it in work time. So I worked out that I could write it in my lunch break. So I was really, really head down, bum up. Get, got to be really fast writer. So I didn't have to write this bloody thing in my own, in my downtime. So, <laughs> so really helped. So it does help with my books. I don't know that I'm especially fast compared with some people, but I, I do feel like, for what I put out, it's pretty good for, good. you know. The, the oh, that's great. I've been writing it. What is it they say? Give If if you want something done, give it to a busy person. <laughs> and they get it done in record time. <laughs> Tell you what, though, you really learn how to write fast as a journalist. You, and you really understand you? deadlines. You really, really don't miss deadlines. My God, you don't want to get shouted at by a Luke Grant type person. <laughs> Where is yeah. it? Yeah. Screaming your name across the room. Your oh. deadline was eight o'clock. <laughs> Time. Oh, oh, shit. Oh, no deadline is not 805 it is eight o'clock oh okay. the red files jump into my mind oh i love it i love it yeah. um okay so which was out of your books which was the easiest one to write and which one did you find the most difficult breaking character by far the easiest oh that was a dream to write if every book was like that i'd just be like so happy it just fell out of me it just plopped out of me fully formed 
little golden splat. And I was like, <laughs> thank you. And it had my favourite tropes in it and it had, like, characters I absolutely adored and, you know, everything was going my way. The book that I'm, I had the most trouble with is the one that I'm just close to finishing now, which is my seventh book, um, Changing the Script, which is a spin-off from uh, Breaking Character, which involves Alex which is Bess, Bess's director friend who goes off to New Zealand to make the world's worst movie. She's a mistress of the forest. Thank you very much. That is the name of the title of the world's worst movie. And while she's there, she kind of gets on the bad side of the local cop, Samantha. And it's so hard to write because it's such an ensemble piece because it's got the small town thing, it's got the New Zealand thing. I've got at least two, three characters from the previous book that I've got to include, which is Sky and... Summer and Bess and Chloe. <laughs> so oh, wow. They're all in there. There's lots of cameos. There's lots of things. And then there's this this plot in the middle. Why is someone sabotaging Alex's movie? <gasps> what things going wrong with it? What is happening? So I've got a little tiny mini plot going on in the background. I've got all these characters and I've also got um, Sam and Alex falling in love in the middle. So it's quite, it's such an undertaking. I don't know what I thought I was doing. <laughs> yes, that'll be a great idea. That'll work. Yeah, you don't do things by half though. And I think that's one of the, the things that, well, certainly I'm drawn to your books and I think I can probably speak for all of your book lovers out there as well there's so much in them your books are really complex there's so many it's angles to them and it's it's, really it's delicious I can't wait I can't wait and when are you looking to get that one released I think that's November it's okay. um I mean these things sometimes change but at the moment it's November bated breath Bated breath indeed. Okay, now, and also, and I mean, I think more on Requiem for this book, but it might be for some of the others. You've written some really interesting topics. What's been the most unusual thing you've had to research when you've written a book? And has anyone ever said no to helping you? Yes, you definitely, I know you, but you've been reading. Yes, I had yeah. a long time researching methods of killing people on Requiem. Yeah. Um, one of the most interesting, I thought, oh, wouldn't it be fascinating if Requiem keeps a cone snail, which is a deadly sort of stonefish-type creature thing, like, you know, and it paralyzes other fish with its venom. I thought, oh, that'd be fun. Yeah, so I'll just, I'll just quickly write off to this North Queensland world expert on cone snails and find out from him if you can, you know, kill someone with cone snail venom. He'll be receptive to that, won't he? Yeah, nah. <laughs> Once he found out, like, he was all very polite until he found out until I asked the question of can you kill someone with this stuff and then he just like right out of there and get another email from him. He was he was done with me. Really? I had with um under your skin, I had all sorts of people when I asked on Quora, which is like a um, forum board type thing, about extradition, countries with extraditions and how extradition works and stuff and how you could evade extradition from America. And I got all these people warning me. Oh, be safe, be safe. They thought I was trying to flee the country or something. I was like, dude, no, I'm north. And they're like, yeah, that's a good story. Stick to that. Like, <laughs> you know, Jesus Christ. I'm anyway. writing a story. Oh, that's brilliant, really. Oh, my God. Bless you. Oh, crikey, I've loved this. This has been brilliant. Absolutely loved it. Okay, so I've got some fun and interesting questions for you. Uh, Lee's not I'm been prepped primed. for these, so you're primed. Yeah. Here goes. Some of them you'd think about, some of them are quite... It made me laugh writing them down, so just I want to see your reaction. Okay, what was the last book you read? 
gosh, I'm, I'm going to say I'm probably wrong, but I'm going to say Turbulence by E.J. Noyes. Okay, nice. I love her books. I've not yeah. read that one, actually. Is it yeah, good? A pilot and... A pilot, her, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, I recently good. just finished her Ask Me Again. Oh, my goodness. I cried. It's so good. Really emotional. I absolutely loved it, I must say. Okay, right. Here we go. Miranda Priestley, or Robin Wright's, and I always pronounce this wrong, Antiope in Wonder Woman. Oh. Who would you choose? And you have to choose yeah. one. Okay, Miranda. Yep. Uh, I did think so. Okay. Uh, who would you like to be stranded on a desert island with? I think my girlfriend. She would oh. amuse me. She's very funny. You know, I don't understand. She keeps yeah. me in stitches. But if you mean someone like I'm not like in love with already. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I love right. that answer. It's very good. You've got lots of yeah. brownie points, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who would, if you could, if it could be anybody, who would you like to be stranded on a desert island with? Well, I really don't like being stranded on an island, so I'd probably have to go with Bear McGill, is it? Oh, McGill? okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, who can get you by? It was actually just for fun and companionship. Um, can I have someone dead? Sure. Go crazy. They'll be alive for you. Okay. May, may I do Oh, very good. Okay. Good choice. Just, I would just like, mm, she's so wise. I just love her yeah. writing and the way she talks. And I just, yeah, definitely my Angelo. Okay. Sorry, mate. I've got no idea. <laughs> I'm terrible with pronunciations half the time. Um, no, good choice. I like that. Really good choice. Okay. Kitten paws or chocolate? Mm, tough choice. Oh, I thought so too. <laughs> I'm going to get chocolate. Oh, okay, okay. Now, from your books, who is your favourite ice queen and why? Well, Elizabeth Thornton from Breaking Character because yeah. I want to have all her babies. <laughs> <laughs> I just fell in love with her so bad. It was so embarrassing how bad I fell in love with her. And what was it? What so- was it? I don't know. I just don't know. I really related to her introversion, intro, 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 what's yeah. the word? I know, you mean to be an introvert. Yes, I really it. related to her introverted streak. I got that. But she was just, I just like her aloofness. She yeah. had this great aloofness. And um, Yeah, I have to say, and I think from all of your Ice Queen characters, she's the least icy. I really, yeah. I liked her a lot, I must say. Yeah, I think the one in my upcoming book is even less icy. She's just more... Really? She's just more a cop, you know. Okay. She's just like, you know. Matter of fact. Yeah. Like it? Okay. What is your favourite meal? Oh, Wiener schnitzel and chips. Ooh. <laughs> Love it. And how often do you get to eat it? Oh, not very often. But okay. I, I, it was my favourite childhood meal, and so I now just had this fond association with it. Um, oh. I don't know, maybe once a month, maybe. Nice, 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 nice. Okay, now I ask everybody these last two. Um, what's the last image you took on your phone in your photo stream? Uh, oh, it was, it was a picture of the back of the modem so we knew how to wire it up again next time. Nice. Yeah. Do you know what? I've got so many interesting photos like that on my phone. Actually, I've got so much crap on my phone as well. I share a um, a photo stream with the boys and basically they take a lot of nonsense of themselves. So there's just pictures. Oh. But yeah, there's often uh, a practical photo on there of oh, what did this look like before we started to get it back again? <laughs> yeah. Got to do it. And the one before that was Quenda Dung. We're still trying to get to the bottom of that bandicoot. <laughs> okay. 
nice nice yeah and I don't know if you do use these but I ask everybody so I'm going to ask you as well what's your most used emoji oh um there's one with its teeth sort of like (laughs) (laughs) is it smiling no it's not smiling it's sort of like goofy no it's like um like if you had an emoji of someone backing away and like side eye oh yeah 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 okay another one yeah Brilliant. But having, having Charlotte as a friend, I also use the eye roll one quite a lot. <laughs> Actually, I'm really pleased you did that because I wanted to mention her in here as well. She is awesome. And I love the banter between you two on uh, Facebook. She's absolutely brilliant. and Very hilarious. And very inappropriate at times. And I just, <laughs> how what's up with her? I just don't. <laughs> <laughs> the eye roll is dedicated to yeah. Charlotte. Is I, I think I use it exclusively with Charlotte posts now. <laughs> Actually, something's just popped into my head as well. Another question for you. Now, I'm sure you used to post that you've bought random stuff late at night or whatever and gone on. Yeah. yeah. What's the weirdest thing that you've bought oh, late at night? <laughs> I bought some plantar fascia socks once, which was supposed to, you know, to compress your foot to relieve pressure on the heel of your foot if you've got this particular bone thing. So I bought them and all it did was, you know, no, oh, look, tight socks. Nothing happened. So that was random. But well, here's the thing. I didn't know. This is the thing. I didn't know I'd bought five pairs of them. So <laughs> turned up. That was really random. I almost bought some lollies last night. I didn't remember it until I got an email in my inbox going, hey, you've abandoned your order. You want to push I'm like, what the hell? I was like, oh, okay. Is it like sleep ordering? I don't know. Maybe. Could be. Sleep walk and I sleep talk. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. I don't know that I'm entirely conscious. Thank God I couldn't work out how to get my PayPal in the middle of my (laughs) Oh, that's brilliant. Brilliant. Oh, Lee, thank you so much. Oh. It's been wonderful, honestly, really wonderful having you on. So uh, finally, to, to close it out, since this is a Caesar Day theme and listening to what you've got to say, I mean, you've been, you've, you've, you've seen so many opportunities. It's really inspiring, I think, for, from, you know, starting right at the beginning in your career, how you then transitioned and everything else. You, you take those moments and you seize them. Um, even if it's not particularly conscious at the time, you, you really are moving forward. It's, it's wonderful. It's very admirable. What would you say to anybody who wants to do something that's out of their comfort zone? I don't know, write a blog, write a book, go to a new job or something. Or other. What, would you, what kind of advice would you give them to just get out there and do it? I would tell them to have people in their life who are on their side, who are optimistic, not the people who are telling you always it'll fail. But somebody goes, oh, yeah, have a go. My mother was very optimistic. She was always the can-do kind of woman and... and my father was the opposite, and when I wanted to become a journalist, my dad said, oh, well, you won't get that. You know, they could thousands of people apply. And my mum turned to him and said, well, why can't she? You've got to give it to someone, cadetships to someone. And so I was really glad I had her influence in my life to sort of offset dad's negativity. So yeah. I had her always saying that. And it's amazing how if you just have even one person in your life telling you, well, why can't you do that? Why not? Um, it'll really help you take the risk yeah you know give it a go and always follow your passion it's true what they say that if you find something you love you never work a day in your life <laughs> yeah because if you enjoy it it's not working is it well it is but it just doesn't hurt <laughs> it doesn't 
<laughs> yes, not as painful. You enjoy it. Yeah. But you're so right to have positive people around you. It, it pays, it goes a long way because sometimes we can't see the wood for the trees. And I think you just need somebody now and again to say, it doesn't matter. Or just to help reinforce, just go for it. What's the worst that can happen? Mm. Uh, you know, give it a go and you'll be great. And more often than not, you are. And that's not to say that you should have no one who's negative because sometimes you do need someone to say, are you insane? You don't go off the waterfall without your floaties on. So you sometimes <laughs> need the other voice as well. So I'm not saying you want to be la, 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 you yeah. know, dancing through them. But just have someone positive there. That's good. Definitely. I love that. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Where can everybody find you, Lee? I have a website, yeah, um, yeah. which is leewinterauthor.com. And you can get me on social media on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook as Lee Winter Oz, which is O-Z, Lee Winter Oz, okay. all one word. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me. This really has been a treat and a highlight for me. Um, really wonderful. I think I just sound insane, but thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> do not you do not and thanks everybody for listening you're gorgeous as always take care look after yourself keep well you have been listening to seize the day with natalie miller snell all contact information can be found in the show notes together with any links to websites i may have referred to in the show if you've enjoyed this podcast please pop over to seize the day.com where you'll find my other shows and come and talk to me at twitter or email me on nataliemillersnell at gmail.com. Thank you, thank you, thank you.